Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Rocky Walls. Rocky's got one simple belief that drives his personal and professional life. People need community, and the best community comes from connecting people in real and simple ways. A communicator to the core, all work and no play wouldn't really bother Rocky, but he has his own fun too. He loves hanging with his wife and three sons, whether at home or on the road. He's an amateur chef who spent one recent summer building a traditional brick pizza over oven, sorry, not over oven in his backyard. And like any um, real film professional, he's an avid fan of watching movies. One of his most exciting projects is Finding Huga, the first feature length documentary film the team at 12 Stars Media has produced. It's a journey to find the real meaning of the Danish word Huga through a glimpse in the lives of the happiest people on the planet. Rocky, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, you know, I think we've known each other and we've known each other for circles for, I think, over the years. But I think that was the, the interesting thing about your company is, is that you started out with video before, I think, every anybody else um, that, that I know of in the indie area, like like video marketing. And then when you did a seminar with um, when you had the company Candidio, um, and that kind of stuff of, um, you know, how to shoot, how, what's the angle, how to do that kind of stuff. I thought that was interesting in the sense of giving perspective of a different, through a different lens, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I want to give people out there kind of a little shout out background. Figuratively and literally through a different yes. lens. Yes, exactly. And so kind of what kind of, you know, going through here, you've done, um, you've co-founded or started, you know, and worked at, um, you know, 12 stars for almost, you know, 13 years now, or just a little over 13 years. And, you know, my first question is, you know, what was the initial idea of 12 stars? And then how has that, you know, how has that changed um, over the last 13 years? Yeah, great question. Such a fun question. You know, at this point, uh, we have the benefit of being able to look back over 13 years where, in the first, gosh, maybe even the first whole decade, the history was always a little fuzzy because we weren't sure where we were going. We didn't really have a destination. We were just constantly going, going, going. Um, but it always just felt like, and this sounds maybe so mundane and kind of kind of funny in a way, but we just wanted to start a business that we could make some money. And we were we knew we were pretty good. We were better than average at making videos and, and doing things with media. We being um, my co-founder, Zach, and I back in 2007. Um, this was like just right before social media really took off. And so, you know, for us anyway, and and, and maybe for a lot of folks our age, um, our, our networks, our circles were, were much smaller and they certainly looked a lot different than they do now, you know, just the number of people that I knew, um, was so much smaller. And the idea of starting a business, while it is certainly not, nothing new and, and wasn't anything new back in 2007 was really a, a foreign concept to us. Um, you know, I kind of feel like, and I realize this is, you know, just a little, a little naive to say, but I kind of feel like we started a business before that was like a cool thing to do, <laughs> you know, like after social media really took off and, and then we hit that first recession, um, starting a business became a much more 
kind of common thing. And, and it became something that people talked about a whole lot more. And you started to see a lot about entrepreneurship and uh, social media opened the door for people to market themselves and take uh, talents and skills that they had and turn them into a business. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, small business expert or, or, a uh, economy expert. I'm not sure if social media actually made it easier to just start a business. Um, but, but it certainly seemed like it. Uh, but when we started in 2007, that was, that was what we did. We just looked at each other and said, let's, uh, let's start a business and, uh, let's make videos for people. Um, at the time we were also doing photography and, and kind of anything media related, some graphic design, stuff like that. Um, and then over time, it just, you know, gradually we got more and more specific with what we could do and, and what we were best at. So I, I like that um, in the sense that, I mean, yeah, 2007 um, and then 2008, a lot of things hit there. But in my next question out of that would be, you know, you navigated and Zach, you guys navigated not one. Um, but two recessions <laughs> um, in a sense. I mean, there's probably going to be more recessions. And so how has the company, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we're through this, uh, this current one. Yeah, <laughs> we've fully navigated it yet, but, but we're, uh, we're certainly, we certainly navigated the first, you know, the, the, the first one in our business lifetime anyway. So in the sense of like navigating through, you know, this one or this one, and then the past one, um, you know, how has the business navigated, but and, you know, more importantly, how have, how has that an impacted customer experience? How have you, you know, adapted to making sure that um, your, your customers are, are, are happy? Yeah. Um, you know, there's this saying that um, we have two ears and one mouth, um, you know, and you should take that ratio into account, you know, maybe listen twice as much as you speak. And, and I think that that, really is an anecdote for the the era that, that we're living in now and, and certainly was back in, in 2008 and 9 um, when it comes to customer experience. For us, and, and, and the time is very different. So the things that worked in 2008 and 9, um, a lot of them are not going to work now um, because things are different. People are different. Um, but in 2008 and 9, I think it's funny because you know, we started a business at the beginning of a recession, but it was the perfect time to start a business, especially a business making videos for the internet um, for oftentimes less money than most people were used to having to spend to make a video. And that's what we listened to. And that's what we heard. Um, during a recession, during a time when people are stressed, um, it, the economy and, and people's finances are um, unstable and, and there's a lot of concern. Um, right now, we're experiencing concern in, I would say, way more areas of life than we were in 2008 and nine. There's a heck of a lot more going on, just not only the financial piece, but health and uh, all, just lots of things. And we won't get, in, we won't get into that on, on this conversation, but um, when people are dealing with that, they're, they're not operating the way they normally do. So you have to be very, very attentive. You have to listen to what it is that they need. Their pain points, their challenges, their problems change 
when we're in the middle of a recession, when we're in the middle of uh, tumultuous times like this. And so in 2008 and nine, we listened and we heard people saying things like, well, gosh, I used to spend all this money, X amount of dollars on, on making a video. And, and it would be one video that would, um, we, we would really be probably uh, unusual or we would be an anomaly if we even put it on the internet at all at that point in time. Um, and, and they, when they wouldn't make another one for three or five years or whatever. Um, and that was like, that's unheard of now. I mean, people are making videos every week, every, every day and, and posting them all the time. And we're posting them right from our phones. But so it was a very different culture. And we were listening to people saying, if I can make videos more affordably, if I can, if I can do them more often, if you can help me think about them in a different way, then you've, you know, you've got the contract, you've, you know, we'll, we'll hire you to do it. And um, so we were sort of riding a wave of a, of a change in culture, a change in content style. And we listened to what people wanted and we created the solutions for them and uh, said, hey, yeah, Zach and I, you know, we're nimble, we're small, uh, a small team. We don't have a, a high overhead um, at the time, you know, just to put it in perspective. Um, our our entire first year revenue was probably less money than some larger video production companies still owed on the loan amount for their most recent camera purchase because just things had, you know, digital, the digital video revolution had really kind of just taken hold. And, um, certainly from, of a, from a professional perspective, um, I think the funny, the, like the, the best anecdote, the best little story that I heard, um, somebody explained to us during that time period, they said, you know, you can get, a wine, and I'm not a wine connoisseur, so this this uh, story is a little lost on me, but I get the idea. You can get a wine um, from California that tastes just like uh, a wine from uh, France or, or Italy, and um, it, it's made from very similar grapes. Um, the the pH and the soil is very similar. It, it just it's almost the same. But the wine from California costs three or four or five times as much as the wine in, you know, from, from Italy, um, or from France. And, and, and when, you know, when you, when you look at why oftentimes it boils down to the simple fact that the vineyard has had their land and their operations paid for, for a hundred years <laughs> in those regions in France and Italy. And, and, in in California, you're paying for all of that, um, overhead that, that they have because it's, it's all newer there. I don't know how true that is, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And so we came in as two young guys with a camera that we were able to put on a credit card in 2008 and make videos that looked as good or better than what people had been doing for a decade or more before that and uh, and do it faster and and cheaper. And uh, people people loved that. And that's why we grew our business um, exponentially during a time when uh, – People were actually spending overall more carefully. Um, and then, as you mentioned, over time, we just listened. We just kept listening to what people wanted. And, and um, as the the HD video camera became uh, something we carried around in our pockets and people wanted to make videos with you know where they were, they wanted to, to just get out a camera and put a, a customer or a, an employee on, on camera and then turn that into something. We, we launched Candidio and, um, and that did well for us for, for several years. 
Um, we generated a lot of revenue. We um, we generated a lot of new leads and new business for other aspects of, of our of our company and, and our services. Um, and then gradually over time, that changed because um, eventually the the saturation of content just became so high that um, and and the acceptance of a certain quality of video um, became so, so much more, so much wider that people felt like I don't even need you to edit this anymore. I'll just shoot it on my camera and I'll just, I mean, we upload natively now within every social media app. Um, so we don't need to shoot it and then send it to somebody, have them edit it and then post it on, on social media. So things change and you have to listen, uh, and hear what, what people's demands are. Um, so we sunset that, that software, that product Candidio, uh, back in 2018, because it just, we could look, we could listen to our customers and we could, we could look and see that it costs more to maintain and operate it and market it um, than in what we were making in revenue. So we, we closed it down and, and shifted our focus toward other things that people wanted. So I think that's like the biggest thing is to listen uh, to people They're, They'll tell you right now what they need most and, um, and you should listen. And for us, for example, last year, that was a lot of um, helping people shift what they were doing to uh, a virtual environment, um, how to host their event that they would normally do in person, how to host that uh, virtually. We, we helped several organizations um, do, do virtual video uh, events, uh, put together programs that they could play online um, instead of hosting a, an in-person event. And is that something that we would have thought even in January or February of 2020 that we would have been doing? No, but it's what people needed. And when they, when they called us and they said, Hey, this is where I'm at. I need this. I, I need your help. Um, that's what we listened to. And that's what we did. I like the, uh, I like the analogy with California and France. <laughs> Again, there's probably, you know, somebody may listen to this conversation and be like, that's not true. Rocky. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, but it's the, the representation of the, the analogy out of it, mm-hmm. um, of what, you know, what costs more. But the thing is, is it, I think it comes down to what I think what you've, you've nailed on the head is, you know, you're, you're listening and you're changing, but you're adapting to what is valuable to the customer. Yeah. I think that's a big thing where it's, you know, you, you became more adaptable in 08 and 09 by, you know, making faster videos, just high quality, you know, getting things out there. It's basically getting things out there. Now it's more so now it's kind of narrowed down to what channels are people going after now, because they can usually do it themselves if they want to, or if they have the time. And so my last question kind of goes around um, the aspect of video because video is another way of storytelling. And so, you know, how has um, your messaging, you know, talking to clients um, and even their own messaging as you're building things out, how has kind of storytelling changed through that messaging, you know, or has it stayed the same? Great question. It's kind of funny. It's it's a bit of a loaded question, I feel like, because the word storytelling has kind of been bastardized and 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 misused over the years. Um, and so, uh, the, the, my my initial response anytime anybody even brings up storytelling is to just clarify that um, we use that term a lot now for things that are not necessarily storytelling. And um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of good content being created right now about um, kind of getting back to the heart of storytelling and, and thinking about um, what really is a story and, and how should we be telling stories? Who's the main character? And oh, by the way, 
you have to have characters <laughs> to have a story. Um, and, and if you have a, a message or an update or something informational, but there's no character, there's no journey, there's no um, obstacle to overcome or dream to uh, attain, then, then you really don't have a story. Um, and that can take a lot of shapes. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that, you know, you have to have a Hollywood movie with special effects and, and a hero, a literal hero in order to have a story. Um, but it is more than just sticking a camera in front of somebody's face and letting them talk and then calling that a story. Um, that may not really be a story. This, this conversation we're having right now is, is, is nice. It's great. It's a conversation, but it's not a story. Um, so I think that, you know, we have to make sure that we, we keep that in mind. And, and what hasn't changed is that storytelling and it's true definition is true form um, is consistently known to be one of the best ways to reach out and communicate with people and draw them in and help them understand your, your message. Um, we've been doing it since, you know, all we had was a fire to gather around and, um, and listen to somebody tell a story and we're doing it now. And, and I would say that um, the heart of what a story is and, and how effective it is has not changed much. What, what's changed, I think, a lot in the last few years is um, the diversity of, of, of channels and, and the attention that it requires to think about those channels, to think about those places where people are going to encounter your story. Um, because the, the methodology or the mindset of, and we'll, we'll just stick to video since that's, you know, what, what I do and, and, and what the 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 through thread here is for our conversation but um the the, the idea of oh we're just going to we're going to make a video and then put it online um you can you could kind of get away with that in 2010 2011 um even even you know maybe 3 or four, or 4 years ago you could get away with that but um with with social media uh, platforms um all vying to host uh, video natively. And then because they're hosting it natively, they're delivering it in the way that is best for that platform. And it's different, um, from, from high level stuff, like whether or not people are going to listen to the audio in your video to really, really specific stuff, like whether or not, uh, you can even upload a caption file, uh, and, and deliver captions in your, in your video, um, based on the platform, based on where you're putting it. Um, which is a twofold thing. It's, you know, on the front end, what can you do on that platform? But then on the back end, how are people going to receive it? Um, and and uh, <laughs> that, that may look different than how you think they're going to receive it. So you have to make sure how, how are they really going to receive it? And that's just taking social media into account. That's not even thinking about all of the other ways that people can still consume your uh, video content, your stories. Uh, we've got... A good, a good, a really fun story, a really good story. I think um, over the last year, uh, we were we've we've sort of um, experienced a couple of of stories, a couple of examples of um, organizations that we worked with uh, on on different ends of the spectrum. Um, one really, well, not one, um, but one that I'll talk about because there are there have been other cases of this, but one that I, I'm really really encouraged by where. Um, they were able to make use of video and continue to produce and share a lot of really good stories over the last year. Um, and then a lot of others, unfortunately, that were just left scrambling and, and really struggling to figure out how do I how do I keep making content? How do I keep reaching people? Um, and so the, the one that worked really well, uh, and it's, it's no coincidence, it's it's because we, we've been in a three year contract with them and we have a long term partnership. We've recorded uh, hours and hours, if not at this point, days worth of, of content. And we have that all in a library and we have, um, 
these stories. We followed these people in their organization through um, stories that, that uh, have been developing over the last two years. And uh, at the beginning of 2020, when we really, for the most part, had to stop filming a lot of that, uh, we just we just said to ourselves, okay, well, this affords us the time to go down down into the into the library and 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 double just do a do a, a a double take a triple take on what content we have and how we can make something incredible despite not really being able to film anything new. And uh, what it resulted in, amazingly enough, is uh, a forty five minute feature length documentary that um, is now being. Uh, submitted to film festivals. It was broadcast on WFYI here locally. Um, a version of it won a regional Emmy uh, over the summer. Um, it was played at, at Heartland Film Festival over the summer here um, in, in, in Indiana. And uh, it's, it's an incredible story. And all because we have been documenting and recording this content in a way that aligns with the idea of storytelling. We've just been following characters and, and, and filming what they've been doing, what the amazing stories that, that they've been uh, living and encountering. Um, whereas I think what people struggled with this year when they didn't have that, it's like all of a sudden it's July and you've done nothing video or storytelling related up to this point, And all of a sudden you want to make a video. Well, that may be more difficult than you think, especially in the middle of a pandemic. But even just in the middle of a, of a regular summer, I think telling stories requires a lot more energy than people often think that it does. Um, and that's why the majority, the vast majority of films never make it out of development. They call it development hell because uh, films just get stuck in those early planning phases because it takes a lot of energy to push a film through development, to come up with the idea, the story, to vet it, to make sure that it's going to resonate with people um, and then to actually produce it and, and share it. So I think, um, that's one thing to keep in mind is that while storytelling is really effective, it's, it's not nearly as easy as people think that it is. And it takes a lot of time and energy. Um, and so when evaluating where we're at nowadays with, um, media and advertising and, and marketing and communications, we really should be more careful than ever, probably, um, in thinking strategically about where we're putting those things, um, then reverse engineering from there, what kind of story I should tell, how I should create it, um, how long it should be, whether or not people are going to listen to the audio, all those finer details. Um, because the, the day and age of, um, I'm just going to make a video and then throw it out there on the web and lots of people are going to watch it and share it. It's sort of over. Um, that doesn't really happen <laughs> very much, very often anymore. Um, so that's, that's, I think probably been the biggest, the biggest change. You just reminded me of like, it's throwing a video, like you're throwing, you know, jello at a wall. I think it's going to stick rather mm -hmm. than, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people, I think even with, when you mentioned videos that also goes into more um, writing or blogs or something like that, that people mm -hmm. expect an immediate immediacy over things when companies who have been successful have stuck to it over the years and have built successful SEO strategies and content and they're expecting immediacy when the immediacy isn't there. So, Excellent. and, you know, I was going to ask, you know, was an offline background, you know, something that you like to share, but you already shared a, you know, a beautiful story <laughs> already. Um, you know, and it was, it was that based on the Huga, um, Festival. It was not. 
It was, it not. was not. Okay. Yeah, actually. So, so finding who goes a separate thing, a documentary that we, um, self-funded and, and produced, um, this, uh, the story that I was sharing with you is actually, um, called no limits. And, um, it's, uh, a program, uh, by the Indiana blind children's foundation. And they work with students at the Indiana school for the blind and visually impaired to, um, partner with, uh, local arts organizations to increase accessibility, um, for folks with disabilities, but also as, as we're finding out, increase access and, um, engagement with the community, uh, for, for everyone. And so a uh, really awesome story about these, uh, this, this group of kids, uh, kind of an ever changing group of kids as, um, as they go through school, um, and, and graduate and move on and the new ones come in. Um, but this, uh, this group of students who, uh, visit places like the idol jork, um, they participate, uh, with Heartland film festival, uh, Phoenix theater, um, Capital City Chorus and other organizations in, in Indianapolis, um, they just go and they and they experience those organizations and then they provide feedback on, hey, here as as a as a person with a visual impairment um, or or as, as someone who's blind, here's how I experienced your your art or, or your your organization and and here are the suggestions that I would have and those organizations then can learn in turn how to um, be more uh, accessible and it's it's really cool because. Uh, when we first started the project, they, they first visited the Idol Jorg Museum. And uh, now that it's been uh, almost two years, the Idol Jorg actually has a whole exhibit, um, a whole ex- exhibition um, where they brought a, uh, a blind Native American artist, sculptor from um, the Southwest uh, in, in, in the U.S. They brought his um, artwork, his sculptures to the Idol Jorg in, in an exhibit called Please Touch. And the whole exhibit, the whole uh, installation is uh, sculptures that anyone can can touch and can experience in a multisensory way. Um, they've got uh, audio description of the of the all the sculptures, so that if you uh, are blind or have a visual impairment, um, you can listen to someone describe those sculptures for you as you're as you're experiencing them in a, in a multisensory way. Uh, and so it's just it's just a really cool uh, exhibit that happened. Um, in part, in large part, because uh, they were able to bring in these students and uh, and share this feedback and, and and create now something that is really special for uh, a broader group of people to come and enjoy and experience. And it's just such a wonderful story. So you get to see that all unfold. You get to watch the kids visit the, the Idol Jorg for the first time. Uh, and then you get to see them come to this new exhibit that's put together um, at the very end. And it's, it's, it's an incredible journey to watch them go through that. Um, and then, of course, other arts organizations as well mixed in there, too. So it's been it's been really cool. I love that. I love that a lot. So, you know, no more grilling questions are going through that stuff. But kind of, want you know, not talking about 12 stars or video. And, but I want to talk about you, you know, Rocky, you know, why do you when you first kind of get up in the morning, you know, why do you do what you do? Uh, I love people and, and hearing people's stories and, uh, talking. I mean, this, like what we're doing right now is, is, uh, inspiring and energizing for me. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I call it a successful and an inspiring day. If I get to have some conversations with folks and hear their stories. And then oftentimes I get the added, uh, the added honor of sharing those stories with other people too. So, um, that's, that's what drives me, man, is, is just, uh, I think like, like there's a, I think it's a Mr. Rogers quote, although some of these quotes, you never know anymore. I mean, you see it on the internet and you know, don't, don't know who actually 
that it, maybe it was Mr. Rogers, maybe it was Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. Uh, but it says something along the lines of it's impossible not to love someone when you really listen to their story. And I think that's great. I think it's true. So that that's, that's what drives me. Video is just a, a medium for me. It's, it's more about just listening to people and hearing and then sharing what makes them special and what makes them unique. I like that. You know, you, you mentioned in your bio about some of your hobbies, but you, you want to, you know, describe, you know, why, you know, any hobbies that help you re-energize um, when you're, you know, when you're working and grinding and <laughs> telling other people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like anybody else, um, I have, I have a lot, uh, on my plate and it's constant juggle and, and balance. And, and sometimes I say goodbye to things that uh, don't need to be on the plate anymore. And sometimes I add a little more, um, for me, uh, my, my re-energizing comes most from just having space, uh, to, to be creative, uh, or, or to be inspired, um, in a, in a non, uh, forward moving, non like pressure, non hustle kind of way. I, I, I have a real problem with the, the, the whole hustle culture. Um, because I think that there's a certain time to hustle. There's a, there's a time to, to, um, really get after it. Um, but I think, I think you have to take a break too. And, and so I, I do things like, um, sit down in the evening and, and usually spend 15, 20 minutes, um, sketching or painting or, um, my kids and my wife got me a cross stitching kit for Christmas. You know, it's like, I'm not going to be a professional cross stitcher or anything, but, um, I know several other people I've seen lots of my friends on Instagram pick up stuff like that too recently. And, and to no end, like I'm not, I'm not trying to make a living out of it or anything. It's just fun. It's just, it's a nice way to sit and clear my mind. I go on a lot of walks, being on walks, uh, in nature or, um, just even around my neighborhood with my, with my wife or my kids, um, just deliberately setting aside time not to be like productive in, in the, the work sense of the word, um, is, is huge. So that's for me, the most re-energizing. I like that. You're taking, you're taking time for yourself to do a little self care there. Um, besides like walks in nature and with your kids, what else do you do health wise to kind of, and this could be anything, this could be mental, physical, whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of things. Um, I, I mean, I actually, I have a, I have just a list. I have a little, like at the bottom of each, I have a, a, a notebook. So each day has a page and I write down my MITs or my most important things that I'm going to get done that day and all that. But then at the bottom of the page, I have, um, several tasks of uh, six things in the morning and six things in the evening that I really like to try and accomplish every day. I don't beat myself up if I don't get them all. Um, but in the morning, you know, that includes, uh, some time in silence. I really, uh, I really try to, to reach a, a, a bit of a meditative state. I'm not a, uh, a super, uh, dedicated, uh, meditator. Um, but I do like to have some silence in, in the morning. Um, I do some, some physical activity, whether that's some stretches or, uh, I run, uh, three to four times a week. Um, I, I sit and, and just think about my day and, and like I said, map it out, write down the most important things that I'm going to get done during the day and kind of visualize my day. Uh, I read both in the morning and in the evening. Um, so I read, a, you know, just a few pages or a chapter. Um, I, uh, let's see, I, I try to write notes, uh, to people, um, physical notes or, or a text message, um, on a daily basis, just one person, um, whether that's a little note to one of my kids or a text message to somebody in my, uh, 
in my network that, that I care about and that I want to know that I'm, I'm here for them. Uh, so that's just a collection. I mean, I didn't list them all, but, uh, but I have that, that list of things. And, and I would encourage anybody to think about that. Like what kinds of things are really important to you? Um, not things that, that you, you know, beat yourself up over if you don't do them. Um, but things that, that do genuinely contribute to your health and well-being, And then, um, just try to hold yourself accountable to those things. Um, yeah, physical activity, super important. Kind of got to get that in there somewhere, whether it's a walk around the neighborhood or, running or just stretching yoga. Um, that's super important. And, and people think that it's got to be a big deal. It doesn't, you know, my, 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 my physical activity in the morning is usually just 10 minutes. Um, sometimes I do a thing. I don't, I don't do it every day, but sometimes I do a thing where when my alarm goes off, I keep hitting the snooze button, but while I'm awake. So I get nine minutes of each of those things. I do nine minutes of silence. My snooze goes, my alarm goes off again. I hit the snooze button and then I do nine minutes of that stretching. Uh, and then I just do nine minutes of the reading. Um, I call it snooze hacking. So rather than hitting the snooze and then sleeping, I'm hitting the snooze and running through some of those things. They don't need to be, it doesn't need to be an hour. It should be 10 minutes. Nine minutes is enough a lot of times for the morning. I like that. So Rocky, thank you for being on this episode, you know, talking about 12 stars video, you know, the, the history of 12 stars over 13 years, the, the pivots that you, you know, the company made, um, the differentiation of what storytelling actually is versus, you know, this is having a conversation right now. Um, just kind of the, um, the evolution of, you know, what has gone with video too, as well as, you know, you know, a little bit of storytelling, you know, helping with, um, you know, the Indiana, you know, children's uh, or blind children's foundation and, and the story around that. And then sharing a little bit about you. Um, I think it's kind of prevalent, you know, through, what I described you in the intro and everything else has um, a very, you know, pattern consistency uh, of who you are. You like to connect with people, but you want to give it your truest self. And so you just wanted to appreciate, you know, this time. Um, and thank you so much for being on this episode. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it. It's been a good conversation. You're most welcome. And to all the Converge coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. 